before we get into this week's lesson, last yesterday was International Holocaust Remembrance Day. International Holocaust Remembrance Day, one of the one of the things UN did right actually. The UN General Assembly back in two thousand five established January twenty seventh as International Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's the uh, remembrance and, and the celebration of the liberation from Auschwitz. And so they made that declaration. It became a UN resolution, and they actually said that the world shall celebrate and remember that day. From Reformed Judaism in Israel on International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we mourn and we remember the six million Jews and the five million others who were killed under Nazi Germany. May their memories be blessed and may we commit ourselves in their memory to the ideals of never again. So in memory of all those millions of people that we uh, remembered yesterday, we're going to honor their families and remember these people as we recite Kaddish this morning. Eternal God, who remembers our deeds and our lives, we turn to you for solace and hope when we are bowed in grief. As we recall with affection those who have been taken from our midst, we thank you for our years of love and companionship with them and for the memories and the undying inspiration which they left behind. In solemn testimony, the unbroken faith which links the generations of the house of Israel, those who mourn now rise to sanctify your name. Magnified and sanctified be God's great name in the world which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom soon in our lifetime. Let us say, Amen. May his great name be praised to all eternity. Hallowed and honored, extolled and exalted, adored and acclaimed be the name of the Holy One, though he is infinitely beyond all the praises, hymns, and songs of adoration which are uttered. Let us say, Amen. May there be abundant peace from the heavens and life to us and to all Israel. Let us say, Amen. May he who makes peace in his high places make peace for us and for all Israel. Let us say, Amen. Yitkadal v'yitkadash shemei rabah v'almah divarach yirute v'amlich machute v'chayechon uv'yomechon v'chaye dekol beit Israel v'agala uv'izman kari v'imru. Amen. Amen. O say shalom bim ramav hu ya say shalom aleinu vel kol Israel bimru. Amen. Please be seated. It's a lot of stuff this week in our parsha. I venture to say that if I were a gambling man, you probably couldn't guess where I'm going today. If I were a gambling man, I wouldn't know what to offer you because I'm not. 
the worship team got a little bit of a a hint um, when Mouse started singing a song before the rehearsal time, but they don't still know where we're going. Louis Armstrong popularized a song back in the 1920s. It was called Let My People Go. And without singing it, the lyrics say this, When Israel was in Egypt land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. When many people, I would, I would venture to say most people, probably outside of this building at least, hear those words, they might say, yes, that's exactly what Moses said to Pharaoh. Or, when Charlton Heston, as Moses, stood before Yul Brenner as Pharaoh and says, let my people go, most people might think, yes, it's exactly what Moses said to Pharaoh. See, there's this thought that's been perpetrated, especially by Hollywood, as well as others, that Moses just told people, let my people go. But we know that's not exactly what Moses said. What Moses actually said is more important and why that's something that we should remember. Because we read scriptures and it quickly realize, we quickly realize that that wasn't exactly what Pharaoh was told by Moses. When, Moses, when God told Moses to go to speak to Pharaoh, he said in Exodus 6.29, I am Adonai. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, some of these things that I tell you, right? No? Oh, wait, 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 wait. He said, everything that I tell you. Now Moses, being the obedient servant that he was, would not have spoken half of what Adonai told him. He would have done exactly what he told him. So if he had only told Pharaoh, let my people go, he would have been in disobedience. Because he wouldn't have been telling him everything that God commanded him to say. Let's look at what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. So from last week's parasha, we're going to jump forward and backward today. But in Parashat Shemot, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, we read, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, This is what Adonai, God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. There was a purpose other than just letting them out the gates. Now this, let's fast forward to this week. And from Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, we read, You are to say to him, Adonai, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, so that they may serve me in the wilderness. And in verse 26, it says it again. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what Adonai says. Let my people go so they may serve me. In chapter 9, verse 1, go into Pharaoh and tell him, this is what Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may serve me. 
And in verse 13, this is what Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, that they may serve me. It was repeated over and over and over again what was supposed to be spoken to Pharaoh. So there's no reason why Moses would have cut it short. He did tell Pharaoh everything God told him to say. But again, jump back to last week. Exodus 5, the second verse. Pharaoh said, Who is Adonai that I should listen to his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Adonai. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So in last week's parasha, this week's parasha, and even into next week's parasha, Moses repeatedly says, Let my people go so that they may serve me. Now, you'll notice that some of the words in each of those verses, all the way from last week's parasha through next week's parasha, some of the words Moses had changed. The content didn't change, just some of the words. But in no case did he ever just say, let my people go. He never said that. Now, in the message that God told Moses to deliver to Pharaoh, it could sound like they would just be going out in the desert a short distance, offer sacrifices, and then come right back. Guess what? Moses knew that they weren't coming right back. I think Pharaoh knew they weren't coming right back. And if we read the story, which we do every single year in these three passages, these three parshot, we know that they weren't going to be coming back. Let's look at the Hebrew for just a moment. The words from Exodus 5, 1, 7.16, 7.26, 8.17, 9.1, and 9.13, which we read, that are translated, let my people go, are the Hebrew words, shalaketami, which can also be read, send my people, which is the way the art scroll Humash translates it. There's a pretty good reason why the rabbis decided to use those terms, decided to use the very Hebrew words translated as opposed to saying, let my people go. And it could be just a case of semantics, but I don't really think so. I think the reason that is that a common rabbinic interpretation that I tend to agree with is that Israel wasn't really let go in the sense of being liberated from Egypt. But instead, they were run out. Think about it. After all those horrible plagues, the Egyptians began begging Pharaoh to send the Israelites away. They wanted those plagues to stop. They came to the conclusion that if those guys are still here, the plagues are going to keep continuing getting worse. So they wanted them out of there. They even went as far as trying to bribe the children of Israel. They gave them their gold. They gave them their silver. They gave them all these valuables. They wanted them to leave. They wanted them out of there. And we know, of course, that he changed his mind repeatedly. Pharaoh, that is. And it ended up being a very bad decision for he and his people. So in this sense, 
the art scroll transition, or translation rather, send my people, would seem to be more accurate than let my people go, even though either one tells you that they left. But it was more of a get out of here, we need you to go because we want peace here in Egypt and we're not going to have peace, we're going to keep having death as long as you're here. And in more orthodox circles, the exodus is actually talked about as an expulsion, which I think gives a greater insight as to what this passage is really saying. They weren't just letting them go. They're not opening the gates and saying, okay, you can leave. It's get out of here. And the Egyptians themselves, not counting Pharaoh and his cohorts, were probably saying, please, don't ever come back. But that also says something about human nature. It, it says something about not wanting to accept freedom, even when it's right in front of our eyes. Why do I say that? Well, maybe that would explain why the Israelites began complaining and expressed the preference of staying in Egypt after they've been out in the wilderness. If they thought that it was that bad in Egypt, why would they ever think of wanting to go back there? But if we look further ahead into Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, they said, we remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and my personal favorite in the list, the garlic. So why would God have Moses say it the way he did? Because there was something in that message he wanted Pharaoh to hear. There was something in that message he wanted Israel to hear. And there was something in that message he wanted you and I to hear. So the first part of the message, which is the best known part, Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Who or what was Pharaoh? When I think of Pharaoh, if you close your eyes and you imagine Pharaoh, I get a picture in my mind, and I see this Egyptian king with his headdress and everything. And they were always wearing headdresses. That was part of their kingship. If you've seen some of the pictures of that headdress, what's on the front of it? A snake a cobra, a viper. According to Penn Museum, that, must, that snake on the front of his headdress means that Pharaoh is ready to strike at his enemies with venom at any time. So he just, it was prominently displayed for people to remember, we have to do what he says or he's going to strike us like a cobra, like a viper. What or who else in Scripture has been symbolized as a snake? Satan. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And that great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So God sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, Let my people go. But fast forward several, several hundred years. In essence, when Yeshua came, God was saying to Satan, Let my people go. In John chapter 8, starting at verse 31, it says, Then Yeshua said to the Judeans who had trusted him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, 
You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then he answered him, We are Abraham's children and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Yeshua answered them, Amen, amen, I tell you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now the slave does not remain in the household forever. The son abides forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What does it mean to be free? Free from what? He tells us. Free from sin. Through the years, there actually have been churches that avoid making that statement. More and more today. There are actually churches and pastors who don't want to talk about sin. I'll give you an example. In Eugene, Oregon, there's a pastor from a mega church who thinks churches focus too much on sin and not enough on connecting people to God. He's reaching out to people who feel they've been hurt by churches with a campaign called Church Sucks. He says the churches talk too much about sin, so he goes out of his way to avoid terms like sin, guilt, shame. He says those terms aren't talked about by their congregation. Why not? Because people don't like it when they're told that they are sinners. There's a fear that that those people coming in that are in sin will now somehow drive away the other people. Because when the sinner comes in, you've got to address the sin. If you're going to be a true man of God and you're going to preach the word of God and you tell what Yeshua said, that sin needs to be cast out. So they're afraid that that will run away the good people, the people who are not sinners. What? I also read a story about another pastor who said this. I was visiting one of my relatives who loves to play the piano. He had a book of hymns and I sang as he played. It was fun. Then we came to the song, Amazing Grace. And I sang along with him as he played. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. He goes on to describe what he saw. See the the word wretch there in that verse? My relative had taken a pencil and scratched that word out and penciled in a word, someone. So save someone like me. Now why would he scratch out wretch? Because he didn't think he was one. He wasn't all that bad. Now granted, he didn't go to church. He rarely, if ever, prayed. But he didn't think he needed to be freed from anything. He felt it was, he was a nice enough guy as he, as he was and that God would accept him as he was. There are churches whose leaders think like that. They're not interested in having sinners in their church. They just want nice people. That's the type of people they talk to about Yeshua. 
They want, don't want to free anyone from anything because that's not the kind of people that they want to attract to their churches. They become more of a social club. A place where they accept anyone who's acceptable to them, not sinners who are in need of salvation. So if we, like Moses, are going to tell people everything God has told us to say, we need to acknowledge and accept the fact that Yeshua came to free people from sin. He came to set us free from sin. He came to set you free from sin. He came to set me free from sin. Yeshua, in effect, was saying to Satan, let my people go. Take the bondage of sin off of them. They're mine. And that's exactly what God told Moses to say to Pharaoh. But that wasn't the end of what he was supposed to say, was it? God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. So, what was God's purpose in freeing Israel? Whether you took, look at it as they were just let go or they were expelled from Egypt, whichever way you look at it, what was his purpose? So that they would worship him. The Israelites weren't being set free of their bondage to, uh, to Pharaoh just to go out and live any way they wanted. They weren't set free so they could just say hi to God every now and then. Israel was being set free so that they could worship any way they wanted? No. When God had Moses lead Israel out of slavery and brought them to Mount Sinai, where he gave them his instructions, there was thunder, there was lightning, and there were sounds that made the people afraid. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, God spoke to them and said, I am Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. What he was telling them was, You're mine. I delivered you out of bondage. I bought you with a price. You are my people and you belong to me. What's Sounds familiar. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. That's, I think that's the same thing he's telling us. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you, have not, you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So the Israelites were brought out of slavery to be a people that belong to God. They left the bondage of Egypt in order to worship God. In that same way, God frees us from our chains of bondage, the bondage of sin as well, so that we can what? Worship Him. Isn't it strange when you read through the parasha, when Pharaoh tries to make a deal with Moses, actually with God because he's negotiating with God through Moses. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 21, Moses called, uh, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and he said to them, Go, 
sacrifice your God in the land. But when that doesn't work, what does he do? In, in the 28th verse, he says, I will let you go so that you can sacrifice to Adonai your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. In other words, I, I want to see you. I want to watch you. I, I, I don't want you to get out of my sight. And if we look into next week's parsha again, in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, Go serve Adonai. Only let your flocks and your herds remain. remain. Your little ones may also go with you. So what Pharaoh was telling Moses, or telling God eventually, was go and worship your God, but don't go too far from me. Don't get all caught up in this worshiping God thing that you want to do, because I want you to stay here when you're done. And I want you to leave your flocks and herds here so I know you'll be coming back. In other words, leave your stuff at home. You can go, but leave your stuff at home. Don't pack. Don't get your U-Haul. Leave everything here, whatever you can carry out there with you, and come back with those things. Doesn't Satan kind of say the same thing to us? Go to synagogue. Go to church. Worship your God. But don't get too far away from me. Don't get all caught up in this worshiping God thing. I got my eyes on you. I'm watching you. I'm holding the end of your rope. Don't take this faith thing too seriously. Leave your stuff at home. So he's, Satan's telling us, I am where you live. You leave your things with me because I want to make sure you're coming back. What did Yeshua tell us to do in Luke 9.23? If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross every day and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? When Moses told Pharaoh everything that God told him to say, in Exodus 8.23, he says, We must walk a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to Adonai our God, just as he tells us. And again, next week in chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, he's, Moses says to Pharaoh again, you must, also, we must, you must also put sacrifices and burnt offerings into our hands. Then we will do it for Adonai, our God. Our cattle must go along with us. Not a hoof may be left behind. We must take from them to serve Adonai, our God. We ourselves will not know how we will serve Adonai until we arrive there. So he says, you know, we have all this, all this cattle and everything, all our livestock, but we don't know which one we're going to offer until we get there. One of them might come up lame. One might step in a ditch and break its leg. We can't offer that. We have to wait till we're there, where we're going to start our sacrifices, so we know which animal we're going to sacrifice. So we can't leave any behind. We're taking our stuff with us. That's what he was telling him. We're going out to worship our God. We can't offer worship to God if we leave our stuff at home. So think about it. Moses came to Pharaoh... He told Pharaoh everything God told him to say. See, Moses would be, was preparing himself to lead God's people out of the chains of bondage through the power of the Lord. 
and lead them into the promised land, which as we know, if we read ahead, Moses didn't make it in the promised land. But he took them to the point where Joshua could take over and take them in. So that required that he do everything and say everything to Pharaoh that God told him to. Not just a half part of it. But guess what? As he's telling Pharaoh these things, the children of Israel also hear these things. He's speaking to them as well so that they know what they're going to do once they leave Egypt. Now, our commission is to help the lost break out of their chains of sin. If we were to become a congregation where we don't want sinners here, how do we do that? The only way to do that if we did that here is we'd have to start street ministries, which, by the way, are not a bad thing necessarily. But I'm not called to street ministry. I don't know each and every one of your hearts and minds. God does. All he can do is use me as a vessel to speak the words that he gives me. And if it is you that he's speaking to, then you need to answer the call. But we have to be the ones to lead them out of that bondage and into the glory and promise of God's love. So we need to do like Moses and tell everything that God tells us to do. Everything that they need to hear, whoever they is. We need to tell people to be set free from Satan's power. They need to, first of all, believe that Yeshua HaMashiach is the Son of the living God. Number two, they need to repent of their sins. Three, they need to confess and acknowledge that God through Yeshua is now their owner. We belong to Him. And He will own all that they are. All that we are. He will be their Lord and Master. And then be immersed as a sign of the covering of the sin and then come out of those waters living for Messiah and worshiping God. Sounds so simple. But I hate to say it because there are churches and preachers that don't make that part of their sermons. They don't want to offend anybody. See, I think everyone here is mature enough. If I were to say these words, you are a sinner. Every one of you. I don't think I would offend you. But some people become offended when that is pointed out to them. They don't think they're sinners. I go to church every Sunday. I stay there for a whole hour and a half. And then, you know, I'm able to do my own thing the six days of work, you know. See, my purpose, my calling, and yours is to declare everything that God has said. Not what we like, not what we want to say and share, but everything that God has said and told us to do. Our purpose is to call people out of the bondage of sin. And when we do that, we're declaring to Satan, let God's people go that they may worship him. In closing, 
just like Moses led the people of Egypt the way that God told him to, God is also commanding us to lead others out of their bondage the way he tells us to. Now, I know Steve, in particular, likes to refer to some of the old hymns and anthems. And this one comes from a Baptist hymnal. Here are the words. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. The cross of Messiah, that execution stake that he was placed on as he gave up his life for our sins, is our way out of the bondage of sin. Aside from the cross of Messiah and him offering himself on that cross, on our behalf, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without his cross, without his sacrificial death, on our behalf, belief, repentance, confession, immersion, and living for God would make no difference and quite frankly no sense. We can't ignore the fact that Yeshua did come and he gave himself up on our behalf but we can't go and do our own thing and forget about what he did for us that we could be set free from our bondage and then lead others out of that bondage as well. Always remember as God told Moses, tell Pharaoh everything that I tell you to. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank and we bless you because you love us. You did send Yeshua to die for us. But more than that, you gave us your Ruach, your Holy Spirit, to be with us and walk with us, talk with us, directing our path taking us to others that need to hear the same message we heard. Abba, if there's anyone in here today that has not come to that full knowledge of who you are, what you did, I ask you to touch their hearts today. Draw each and every one of us closer to you out of the bondage of sin so that we can declare to Satan... Let our people go. Let God's people go so they can worship Him. We're not leaving our stuff at home. We're bringing everything with us and we're laying it before the altar of God. And Abba, as we do that, I pray that your Ruach would lead us and guide us from that moment on. That we will always do and say everything that we've heard from you. No Reader's Digest condensed version. Everything. No Cliff Notes version. Everything that you have given to us and spoken to us, Lord. Let us give that to others. And let us always remember it for ourselves. Let us always be reminded that we need to put on, as Yeshua said, take up our cross of sin daily 
so that we can remember that we are still sinners, but we have been redeemed by his blood. Let us remember daily to turn to you, seek your guidance for each and every day, give you thanks for each and every day, and always remember that this is not the only day to spend in worship with you. We should be worshiping you, Lord, each and every day. And we pray that you would instill that on, upon all of us, that we will be closer, that we will be more fulfilled in you by growing closer to you. In Yeshua's name, amen.